Open your Bible, please, to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. When you find Acts chapter 2, I'd like to stop and pray. And I do have a burden to convey the truth of this passage that the Lord has given this morning. And I hope you're ready for it. I hope your heart is open for it. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for the privilege to open your precious word in our language, for inspiring it, preserving it, and allowing it to be translated so we can read it. I pray that you'll help us have a burden for those who don't have that privilege yet and recognize the dire condition they're in and the danger for their own souls not having the scripture. Lord, as we look at this story of Pentecost this morning, in this chapter of the Word of God, a very familiar story, I pray that you'll give us a fresh perspective on it. Please help us now and fill us with your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A proper view of missions begins with a proper view of God. We too often present God as a frustrated deity, scrambling to try to get his children to obey his commissions so people can hear the gospel. I have news for you this morning. I've said it several times. God is on a mission to reveal his glory and extend his grace to every kindred, tribe, and tongue. And I also want to tell you that he is accomplishing his mission. He is not frustrated. He is not distressed over the condition of this world. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he is accomplishing everything he desires to accomplish, and he's using his people to accomplish it. And we're going to see a beautiful picture of that in Acts chapter 2 this morning. And part of God's plan in accomplishing his mission is that he has given this mission, I'm sorry, he's given the church to this mission. He didn't come up with the Great Commission at the last moment, so the disciples would have something to occupy themselves with. He, the mission was already in full force, as we learned on Thursday night. And he has given the church to this mission. And the scripture we're going to read in a moment, we're going to see that. There are 17,432 people groups in the world today. The word nations in Matthew 28 19 doesn't mean political countries. It means ethnic groups. A people group is defined as a group of individuals that have a common language, religion, culture, and ethnic background. 17,432 of those groups exist on the earth today. Only seven, I'm sorry, 7,416 of them are still considered unreached. The word unreached doesn't mean they've never heard the gospel. It means they're without access to the gospel. You know that everybody in Prince William County is reached. I know you realize there are a lot of people in this county that are not saved, and there are people in this county who've never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. But they are not unreached because of the presence of this church. They are within reach of the sound of the gospel, aren't they? But 7,416 people groups are unreached. That means they have no preacher anywhere near where they live. They have no church to attend. They have no gospel message being proclaimed in their land, and they have no access to the truth. The sadder fact of 7,416 unreached people groups is that about 3,200 of them are considered unengaged. And the word unengaged takes unreached a step further because it means there is no 
church planting strategy underway consistent with the evangelical faith and practice, which basically means they have no access to the gospel and no one is bringing it to them. No one's coming. Can you imagine that? Over 3,000 places on this globe where the gospel hasn't been and we're not even on the way yet. That's an indictment on the church, isn't it? When we talk about people groups, you may think I'm talking about 50 people sitting around a fire in a, in a dark part of a jungle somewhere, but I'm not talking about just small pockets of people. India has 2,445 unreached people groups, and the largest unreached people group in the country of India is over 68 million people. The largest unreached people group in the world is, is located in Bangladesh and North India, and they're called the Sheikh, and there's over 220 million of them. The 25th largest unreached people group in India is still over 8 million people. That means at least, you add up the population of these unreached people groups, at least 3 point something billion people have still never heard the name of Jesus Christ and have no access to Him because there's no one anywhere near proclaiming Him. There are 7,378 languages in the world. And only 717 of those have a whole Bible, less than 10%. Some have a New Testament and some have a portion of Scripture, but 3,883 languages still have not one verse of Scripture. If you want to talk about where missionaries are, 85% of independent Baptist missionaries are in the same 15 countries. 10% of our missionaries are in one country. There are 14,000 independent Baptist churches in America with a membership of 2.5 million. And we're sending out about 4,000 missionaries. There are 46,000 Southern Baptist churches in America with 16 million members, and we're, they're sending out about 4,000 missionaries. So if you put those two together, you have over 60,000 churches in America that are Baptists that proclaim, claim to preach the true and pure gospel of, of Jesus Christ. With a membership of 18.5 million, only sending out about 10,000 missionaries. Do you know that's 60,000 churches and 18.5 million members? We're sending out one missionary for every 2,055 church members. In the days of the Moravian missionary movement in the 1700s, they were at one point sending out a missionary for every four church members. So the numbers I just read to you should be overwhelming, are they not? Yes. It's an indictment on the church that there is any place on this globe where we haven't proclaimed the gospel. But I have some encouraging news because I am convinced that the Great Commission could be accomplished by the church in one generation. You've heard this before, that this generation of Christians must reach this generation of lost people. And God has never given us a command that could not be obeyed. We find all kinds of ways to exempt ourselves. Well, I, I, I can't do what I, I know God has commissioned us, but I, I can't be a missionary. And I, I could never be a Bible translator. And I, could, I can't give that much to missions. I can't prioritize it in my life like I know I probably should. And Brother Wall, you remember our college president used to say, I can't, never could, right? God didn't give the church the Great Commission so we could play our little part and make our little contribution, hoping the next generation will pick up where we leave off. 
we need to take on this task as if it has to be finished before we die. The Great Commission demands complete obedience, not voluntary participation. And if the numbers I gave you a moment ago overwhelm you, let me encourage you by saying that we have 8.3 gospel preaching churches in America for every one unreached people group. And we have 15.8 churches in America for every one language without scripture. I think it could be accomplished to you. Another encouraging note is we have the people and the resources to do it. You say, where are those people and where are those resources? They're right here in this room. They're right here gathered in this room and they're gathered in the uh, buildings of every church meeting like this on this Sunday morning. I think we could do a lot better than sending one missionary for every 2,000 church members, don't you? We could give more than we think. We can go more than we think we can. Let's look at Acts chapter 2, please. And I, I want to point out here that there are four gospel accounts that all culminate with the commission. And Acts begins with the commission. And there's a reason for that. Let's read the first eight verses of Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? This familiar story is one I want to look at this morning and hopefully asking the Lord to give us a fresh perspective on it. At Pentecost, the church was empowered for the task of reaching the world. After the Holy Spirit came, Peter preached and 3,000 people were saved. He preached again later and 5,000 people were saved. The church grew to some say more than 100,000 members in Jerusalem. They scattered upon the persecution that arose about Saul and Stephen, the martyrdom of Stephen. Churches were planted and they covered the known world. So Pentecost became the catalyst of a worldwide missions movement. And I want us to look at Pentecost this morning and see what happened there and what we can learn from it. Because I believe this is an example of what the Lord wants to do with this church today. It's an example of what He, or how he, he can use His people today. It's an example of what He can do with men and women who are wholly possessed by Him. We didn't read these verses, but in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, they are gathered in an upper room in prayer, waiting, as they were commanded by Jesus to do, for the promise of the Father to come upon them. And so I believe if we will wait and let God do what He wants to do in us, we can do and accomplish great things for Him. I do not expect, I need to clarify, I do not expect another Pentecost this morning with cloven tongues of fire descending. And I should clarify that these are not unknown languages. It's very clear from this passage when they said, How hear we every man in our own tongue? 
So this is not prescriptive. This is not a prescription for the church to see this repeated, but it is descriptive of how God wants to use His church today. So there are four root principles here, and I'd like for us to look at them, and I believe they will give us some light for the church today. Very simple, a very practical look. Number one, the church exists for the mission of God. The church exists for the mission of God. What is the mission of God? To reveal His glory and extend His grace to every kindred, tribe, and tongue. We didn't read verses 9 through 11, but if you do, you'll find 17 or 18 different people groups, different language groups represented. And what I want you to think about this morning is that right here in this first story of the coming of the Spirit of God upon the church, we see that the purpose of the coming of the Spirit was to touch the nations with the gospel. Do you remember Thursday night we started in Genesis 1-1 and we worked our way through the Word of God and we saw a constant purposeful revelation of God through the events and the lives of the people we encounter in the Word of God. We saw God revealing His glory and extending His grace. And here at Pentecost we see the continued unfolding of the mission of God. We looked at creation. We looked at Abraham. We looked at the prophets. We looked at Jesus coming and being a perfect picture of the, re- of the glory of God. And then, and then a, an extension of the grace of God through the sacrifice of His own life. And what we see here in Acts chapter 2 in the coming of the Spirit of God is the next step in the unfolding of the mission of God. I like to tie Pentecost to, to Babel. Do you remember what happened at Babel? Their languages were confused and they were scattered upon the face of the earth. And Pentecost is a reversal of Babel. As soon as he scattered them, he called out Abraham and said, My mission is through you to to touch all the peoples of the earth, Genesis 12, 3. And right here in the establishing of the church and the coming of the Spirit upon the church, we see that the church is being empowered to undo what happened at Babel, to touch the nations with the gospel. God did not establish His mission for the church, but He established His church for the mission. I think I said this Friday night, but the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. And I don't see how it could be more clear. I don't see how the purpose of God could be better illustrated than Acts chapter 2 with the coming of the Spirit for the proclamation of the gospel to the ends of the earth. If you were to survey a group of believers and ask them, What is the purpose of the church? You'd get a lot of answers. Some would say the purpose is fellowship. And I love the fellowship of God's people. Do you? Uh, Especially if it's centered around food. It makes it just a little better even. But there's nothing like Christian fellowship, is there? To be in a place with people who think like you and love the same Lord you do and have the same beliefs you do and convictions you do and, and follow the same Jesus you do, There's nothing like Christian fellowship. And I met missionaries around the world who go to unreached places. And when I asked them, what's the toughest thing about being in this isolated, lonely place where the gospel hasn't ever been before, they say the fellowship of God's people. I love good fellowship, but that's not the purpose of the church. It's a wonderful benefit. Some would say the purpose of the church is teaching and preaching. And there's no there's no way to discount the, the, the importance and the necessity of teaching and preaching and encouraging and exhorting and reproving and rebuking as Paul instructs Timothy to do. Uh, but that's not the purpose of the church. 
Some would say it's worship, it's praise and worship. And I think maybe in a lot of places we've taken that a little too far and, and worship becomes a feel-good thing to help us make it through each week, you know. But worship is not the purpose of the church. Uh, those are all things that are means to the end of glorifying God and carrying out His mission. So this is the beginning of the church. And, and look what happens. The gospel goes to the nations. This is what it is supposed to look like. Are you with me so far this morning? Number two, lesson number one, the church exists for the mission of God. Lesson number two, every member is part of the mission. Every member, please get that, every member is part of the mission. If you were to look back at chapter 1, verse 13, we have 11 apostles, and later Matthias was added to that lot. And then at the end of verse 15, it says the number of names together were about 120. So we have the 11 apostles, we have uh, Mary, the mother of James, and there are other brethren and sisters there in Christ. And so about 120 gathered in the upper room. And then Acts chapter 2, verse 1 again, is, is the beginning of Pentecost. Look with me, please, at verse 1. And I have these all marked in my Bible. I'm going to emphasize some words. And when the, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they... So it's talking about the whole group, isn't it? At the end of verse 2, the Spirit comes, uh, the rushing mighty wind comes and filled all the house where they were sitting. We're still talking about the group. Verse 3, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues of fire, and it sat upon each of them. We're still talking about the whole group. Verse 4, and they were, how many of them? Say that next word. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. As the Spirit, end of verse 4, as the Spirit gave them utterance. At the end of verse 6, every man heard them speak in his own language. Middle of verse 7, behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? I don't know how you've seen this in the past, but for years I just kind of defaulted to the gospel's going forth and everybody's hearing it in their own language. Peter, Peter is preaching a powerful sermon and 3,000 people got saved in this amazing church service. This is not a church service yet. This is simply the people of God waiting upon Him and His empowerment. And when it comes, all of them began proclaiming the gospel. We don't have a preacher behind a pulpit and people in the pews. We're not sitting in a church service. We're in a prayer meeting. But it's the empowerment of the people of God for the gospel's sake. And all of them were participants. Would you look at verse 6, please? Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. So the church service didn't come till later. The, 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 the hubbub around the community was the gospel is being proclaimed in every language by all of God's people. Are you with me on that point? The Great Commission is not just for the chosen and the specially called people. It's for every disciple, every follower of Jesus Christ. I think we have, I'd like to say it's unintentional, but we have created this false dichotomy between, and you've heard these terms before, the goer and the sender. So the goer is the one who's answered the call of God, following the leadership of God to a foreign land perhaps, and and, and there's special giftings in this person. I mean, they're fine with eating bugs and grub worms. They're fine with eating all this strange food like, like 
dog and horse meat and all that kind of stuff, they're good with it. We have a guy that works in our ministry, and if I said to him, we're going to go to the Amazon jungle, and you can carry nothing but a rope and a knife. We're going to be there for three months. He would say, when do we leave? That's the kind of mindset he has. Now, for me personally, I'm very, very thankful for the Holiday Inn Express I'm staying in this week, right? That's, that's not for me. But here's the goer who's specially gifted for this, and, and he has just this pioneer spirit, this adventurous heart, and God has led him to go in this direction, and we thank God for the goer. And we're not the goers, we're the senders. So we're over here on this side, and we'll give you some money because we want to help you, and we want to be part of what you're doing, and we'll try to pray for you a little bit. But God didn't call me. So here's the dichotomy we've unintentionally created. Since God didn't call me or send me, I get to choose what I do with my life. And nothing could be further from the truth. He's called to go on mission, and you are called as a sender to be on mission with God. No one is excused from this mission. Nobody can say, I don't have the gift. I'm not qualified. I, I don't have the ability to talk to people. Every member evangelizing every nation, and no one is excused. That is the purpose of God. All followers of Jesus will be led to full involvement in His mission. The church exists for the mission of God. Every member is part of the mission. Lesson number three, the Spirit of God is the power behind the work. I know that's an obvious point, but I want to state it. This was not the apostles doing. This is the Spirit of God, the power behind the work. It's not the work of well-thought-out plans and finely developed strategies, but it's the work of the Spirit of God. Jesus said in John 14, 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. So the question for us right here is, do we long for this today? How long has it been, listen carefully, how long has it been since you experienced the power of God at work in your life to bring someone to Jesus Christ? How long since we've seen it displayed in this fashion? Why do we think we can carry on the work of the Lord in a sterile way with finely tuned programs and precision schedules, but no spirit of God? The psalmist said in uh, Psalm 119, verse 126, it is time for thee, O Lord, to work. We need that prayer on our lips. Can I tell you we need revival? I've heard that phrase all my life. We need revival. I grew up, I was born in Alabama, North Alabama. I'm a hillbilly by birth. We moved to Florida when I was seven years old, and I became a redneck after that. So I'm the first hillbilly redneck you've ever met. But all my life in these southern churches, I heard, we need revival. And when these southern preachers said we need revival, what they meant was, we need an emotional church service where people come to the altar. You ready for these southern words? Bawling and squalling. You ever heard that before? <laughs> we need an emotional service where they come to the altar bawling and squalling, and, and that's during the song service before the preaching's ever started. We just need God to move among us. You know, we need way more than an emotional service. We need full commitment and dedication and consecration to the mission of God. 
That's the revival we need. We don't just need revival that will make us a better husband or a wife or a better young person or a better citizen. We need revival that will restore unity and harmony to the body of Christ. We need revival that will break our attachment to the world. We need revival that will shake us out of our complacency and apathy. We need revival that will result in a people sold out and wholly given to the mission of God and completely abandoned to His agenda for our lives and this world. I get to be in churches all over the country. I thank God for the ministry He's put us in. And I meet a lot of good people who I think love the Lord, but I think we have a lot of unenlisted soldiers. I think we have a lot of consumer Christians. Two men who planted churches, one in Minnesota, and I forgot the location of the other one, but these two church planters, churches about four years old, told me in separate occasions, they said, somebody visits my church and I I, want to contact the family and find out how we can minister to them and where they are spiritually. And here's the question they asked me. What does your church have to offer me and my family? That's consumer Christianity. We're not here for what this church can offer to us. We're here for what we can offer to God. And we owe Him our lives. We need to both yield to the Spirit. If the, if the whole concept of Pentecost was the empowering of the Spirit for the gospel to the nations, we need to do two things. We need to yield to the Holy Spirit, and we need to ask the Holy Spirit to work through us in power so our lives can become a greater part of His mission. It's time for the church to be the church. It's time for the church to impact the nations with the gospel. I thank God for your mission's heart. I really do. I I said earlier it's been a blessing for us to be here, and I don't know how to express how how sincerely I mean that. It's wonderful to be in a church that has a mission's heart, and I've preached in a lot of churches where I feel like I'm trying to set fire to wet wood. You know what I'm talking about? You have a mission's heart, but if you have a mission's heart, Deep inside that heart ought to be this burning desire and passion that says, God, do greater. Do more. Pull me in deeper. Involve me in a more powerful way and let my life and let my church impact this world, impact the nations for the sake of the gospel and the glory of God. The church exists for the mission. Every member is a part. The Spirit of God is the power behind the work. And this is my favorite point. God had a plan from the beginning. And I'm just summing up now everything I've already said, I think, in the previous messages. Look at verse 14 of our text, which we didn't read all, uh, down this far. But after the, uh, the men accusing, the, these people are full of new wine, and Peter stood up with the 11, verse 14, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all that dwell at Jerusalem, Be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. And in verse 17, I'm sorry, verse 16 and following, we have Peter preaching his sermon. So Peter stands up here and begins to explain what is happening here. And notice the words of verse 16. We're not going to read all these verses. But I have these words underlined in verse 16. But this is that. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He goes on to quote from Joel 2, verses, I think, 28 through 32. And if you will read this sermon from Peter, now it's very likely that he, he 
said more words than are recorded here. But there are 520 words recorded in Acts chapter 2 of Peter's sermon. And over 200 of those words are quotes from the Old Testament. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? So what's the point? The point is that Peter's making, and the point of his sermon is the story didn't start here. Yes, you saw, or you heard at least, cloven tongues of fire came down, and you're hearing every man speak the gospel in your own language. What you're witnessing here is not just some kind of spooky, sensational event, but let me take you back through Scripture and show you that this is not just an isolated event happening here today. This is part of the unfolding plan and the mission of God. This has been a long time in the making. And what you're witnessing here today is the fulfilling the continued unfolding of the mission of God. Can I tell you, we live in a, an exciting time when God is using His church to impact the nations of this world. Ralph Winter said, it's not just that the basis of missions is the Bible, but the basis of the Bible is the mission. And that's what Peter was trying to show them here on the day of Pentecost. The Old Testament era has come to a close. Jesus has arrived. He died. He was raised. He was buried and raised again. He ascended back to heaven. And now the Holy Spirit has come upon the church. And as Jesus said in John 20, 21, so send I you. The New Testament era and the church being empowered for the propagation of the gospel. This was God's plan from the beginning. So, If you agree with what I've said to this point, my question is, does what we see here look like the church today? As I said a moment ago, you are a missions-hearted church, and we thank God for that. It's a blessing. But we do live in a land filled, generally speaking, with churches in survival mode and pastors struggling to meet the sometimes trivial and petty demands and expectations of congregations with little or no interest in what happens beyond the four walls of our church. Sometimes we don't even care what happens about, uh, out there beyond our own family and our own people. We need a new generation of churches that will not just talk about reaching the world, but will allow God to reach the world through us and do a powerful work here in our midst. We need a zeal and a passion in our churches that will take us from enduring the mundane to expecting the miraculous. Instead of marginalizing the Great Commission and just making it a program among the many other things that we do here on this campus that we make the mission of God the dominating task of the church. If we could reverse this marginalization of the Great Commission, if we could reverse this church in survival mode mentality, what if we could begin sending missionaries by the dozens? What if we could see God set a few pastors and churches on fire for the mission? What if we saw just a few who would model real commitment to it and maybe that flame would catch on with others and maybe we could impact the unreached world in this generation and maybe we could stop saying there's 7,400 and something unreached people groups. What if we could see sending missionaries out becoming a regular occurrence? What if we often heard people crying out for laborers to the unreached fields of this world? What if it became a normal thing for somebody to walk the aisle and say, I want to join God's mission and I'll go wherever He wants and do whatever He wants for the rest of my life? 
If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, can I tell you that His mission includes you? He has been revealing His glory and extending His grace for over 6,000 years now, and He wants you to know His glory, and He wants you to know His grace. And He's reaching out to you this morning, inviting you to become one of His children, to follow Him in this mission. If you are a believer this morning, the mission includes you. Will you join it today? Will you pray? I challenge you with this Thursday night. I challenge you again. Lord, whatever you want, wherever you want, for the rest of my life, I want to be on mission with you. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the power of this story in the Word of God. We thank you for the clarity of the Spirit of God coming and seeing that the purpose of it was the empowering of the church, the people of God, for the gospel to the nations. Lord, if there's one person in our midst today who's not experienced the power of that gospel, may they know it today. May they be saved today. And Lord, those of us who do know you, I pray that our hearts have been challenged this morning to become a greater part of the mission. Please use us beyond what we even think you could use us to do. There's no limit to our potential when our potential is yielded to you. I pray for your help this morning. I pray that where you have spoken to us, we will respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Would you stand, please? The pianist will begin to play and the altar is open. If God has spoken to you, will you find a place at this altar and talk to the Lord? If you've made a decision or you know you need to make one, it's a good thing to do it at an altar. You can do it in your seat, but talk to the Lord about what He said to you this morning.